0: Okay, everybody. So I see that we're recording here. So there's no reason not to start. Um, my name's Sean Benson, and uh, I'm one of your hosts tonight. And uh, I get the honor of, of sort of starting everything off. I'm going to say exactly what I said last week, which is watching everybody feather in and, and the idea that all of us martial artists and probably some non-martial artists who are interested are gathering to watch this. It truly warms my heart because uh, I posted a thing on Instagram to help promote this tonight. And you know, 28 years ago, I saw a photo of Haunchy Legacy, uh, and I decided to do the thing I saw in the photo, and that night, I went to a demo, and it, ba- oh, Sensei Dolphin is pointing to the photo, and it basically changed my life, uh, truly, 100%, no exaggeration, and so I'm actually a little nervous tonight to, to, to get into this with my Sensei, but I'm not going to jump right to Haunchy Legacy right now. I'm just going to say thank you all for joining, uh, punch, kick, choke, and chat which is the name of our video special that we started last week with Sensei uh, Nicholas Suino. Um, And so what I'm actually gonna do is remind everybody, if you haven't seen last week's, jump on YouTube, look for it. And we spoke with uh, Sensei Suino last week, who I'm gonna throw the ball to right now and, and introduce him. We had such a wonderful time chatting last week that we decided to ask him if he would join us on this journey and he graciously said yes so you know sensei nicholas suino he's uh an eighth dan in uh sword he's a master in judo uh, and he's one of the finest martial arts i've ever had the chance of being in a room with and i also consider him a friend um he's been doing martial arts for is it 55 years sensei
1: Uh, not quite 55 but getting close
0: getting close okay so I'm, i'm just gonna say that it's an honor and a pleasure to have him helping uh, chat with our masters that, that we engage each week. And I'll throw it to you, Sensei Swino, how are you doing?
1: Man, I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Uh, I am really loving this opportunity to see you guys, uh, see your faces. And um, I can't wait to get into it with Hanchi with Gary Legacy. Um, uh, I remember the, the day we met and almost every opportunity we've had to train together. Um, it's, been, it's been quite some time. And uh, uh, this is going to be this is just going to be the next hour and a half is going to be so much fun i i'm really stoked about this
0: and then uh if you sensei suino would do us the honor of throwing it over to sensei dofan and letting
1: everybody know who he is okay so (coughs) sensei dofan is um a guy who started training with me in iaido under uh the the umbrella of uh legacy chernru 25 years ago is that about right um, right. And and uh, uh, you know, like like many martial arts relationships, it's deepened over time. Uh, we we train together. Uh, he learns from me. I learn from him. Um, uh, 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 we hang out. And um, uh, gosh, uh, I, I, the opportunity for me to get to be to become friends with, with Hanchi and then uh, and then some of his students, has been one of the biggest opportunities to meet excellent people in my life. Um, I'm going to stammer here, so um, Sensei Dovan, if you want to take over and, uh, and carry this forward. we got a lot to talk about tonight, and I'm really yeah. really looking yeah. forward to it. Thanks, Sensei Swio.
2: Well, I'm glad that I get the chance to, uh, to introduce Sensei Legacy. Um, like yourself, I remember the very first day I met Sensei Legacy, which was at the University of Western Ontario when I came wandering in as an 18-year-old, and I have to say um, it has been the most impactful relationship of my life, has given me things that I never could have got on my own. Um, and just uh, the type of relationship one can only hope to have, it's one of those once in a lifetime relationships. So um, I'm super excited to uh, introduce Sense Legacy, uh, who's been going on uh, 50 years of dedication to, to training in karate and Ryu karate. Uh, a couple of things about him. Well, we're going to get into a lot of things about him, but just off the hop, he's a super diehard Montreal Canadiens fan like myself. So, <laughs> um, he is an Acadian, so he was born in Jacket River, New Brunswick. Uh, um, and then his path has taken him to many places in Canada, ending up now in St. Thomas. But, you know, at some points in his life, he has lived in Labrador. Uh, he's lived in. Uh, uh, in addition to New Brunswick, he's lived in Ramouski, Quebec, he lived in Sarnia for a while, uh, and now he's currently residing, he lived in London, now he's currently residing in St. Thomas. Um, he was the 1975 Canadian Black Belt, uh, Batokukai Kumite Champion. Um, he also um, has recently been inducted into the Canadian Black Belt Hall of Fame. And you know, there's lots of accolades that I could list, but Sensei doesn't like that stuff. He doesn't like it mm-hmm. when you talk about all, all these things that he did. So I'm just gonna give you a couple of uh, um, the things that I really admire about Sensei Legacy. One is I find him to be an unchanging person in all circumstances. Um, that's not to say he's not genuine, but if he's under pressure, if he's uh, having a good time, if they're sad times, he remains constant the, the way that he is. Uh, I love his priorities in martial arts. I always look up to the way uh, he will always put karate first and then he'll put our association next. And then he puts the students in our association as the next priority. And he always seems to put himself forth in his list of priorities. So that's another thing that I really admire about him. Um, He's a leader of leaders. Uh, the people in our association are strong leaders. You have people like Janice, Shaki, Scott Bauer, and John Kettleberger. Like the list goes on and on of people who on their own, they could go out and they could start their own associations, but yet they choose to stay with Sense of Legacy and, and follow his direction. Um, you know, as a, as a, as a student, he's a person that everybody can emulate. Um, everybody, we all look at him as the sensei, the sensei, the sensei. But uh, you know, one of the things I'm really lucky is that I got to see him as a student with Anthony Sandoval. I got to see him in many different situations, uh, both on the dojo floor, um, as well as even in his home. He has al- he's always the best student on the floor when he goes out. It's something that everybody can, can look to him as an example. Um, you know, and I guess one of the last things, and I, I said this, I think, in one of my posts this week, is uh, Sensei Legacy's never been a person who hides behind his rank. So mm-hmm. often you see people who are high ranking, they get a black belt, they get a fifth Dan, they get whatever Dan, and then they choose that as an excuse to retreat to the front of the room and not do things anymore. Um, I'm really proud when I got my when I got my shodan in the Iaido from Sensei Suino, I was actually standing on the floor right next to Sensei Legacy. We were standing right there. As a matter of fact, I think I remember Sensei Legacy that you might have been like a little too tight on Shihoto sono each uh, or Ni and your sword might have went through the sleeve of your Mansuki as as we were doing that particular cut. I think I, if I remember that, but uh, I guess that's my introduction since today. See, I'm super grateful to be his student. Um, I'm very proud that oftentimes people mistake me as his son. There's people even at our tournament who said, uh, <laughs> came up and said, oh, you're Papa. He's the best guy, uh, the best martial artist on the planet. And um, I miss him so much and seeing him and I'm so excited tonight to just be having this chat.
0: Thank you Sensei Dofan. And you know, it was funny because I was thinking about this before we started. I I was like, yeah, Sensei Legacy is going to hate this. Because Sensei Legacy, how are you doing? What's going on? Nice to see you. <laughs> Good. Thanks. Yeah. And what yeah. I was thinking about is like you are genuinely the most humble martial artist I know because there are these stock phrases in martial arts like the more we know the less we know and these things that can be said but not meant. But you genuinely just kind of want to do karate and don't care much about the rest, right? Is that true?
3: Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. My, at the very beginning, it's always been a dream of mine to be a martial artist. Even when I was younger and I lived in Quebec, I used to see it in comic books and, and stuff like that. And then after a while, when I moved to Sarnia, became actually, uh, possible to join a karate club where you you really couldn't in quebec back in in the 40s and then so uh, sort of getting lost there
0: that's right so you looked at the actually that's where i want to start you looked at these things as a kid the way probably all of us did mine was van damme movies and you went i want to do that thing in the comics you just didn't know how to do it is that right
3: yeah that's right yeah so i would i just got you know made stuff up rope boards made a use a hockey bag stuffed it up with rags and wrote numbers on it and my brother used to call out 2 4 and we'd hit that number as fast as we could you know yep. on the back. So we, we sort of started to prepare ourselves to be martial artists
0: so we're going to get to your first sensei and walking into the club that first day um sensei vent
3: i
2: just want to say sensei again is being humble but uh if you're you don't realize Legacy is like a freak athlete um you know, at, at 13 years old in sarnia i have the newspaper clipping up my house at 13 years old in sarnia he was able to throw a football how far was it sensei
3: um 65 yards 65
2: yards <laughs> 13 years old right like there's NFL quarterbacks right now who can't throw a football 65 yards. So
3: oh, I don't, Dad. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Look, I'm, I'm not going to shit on this interview, but there's going to be a lot of what we just saw because Sensei Legacy is going to do exactly what he just did, which is quietly tell a story. And then lucky we got Sensei Dofei is going to go, by the way, here's the real story. This is what actually happened. Um, so Sensei Legacy, you, you moved to Sarnia and you're in the London area, the Sarnia area. Um, before you start karate... Uh, how much of that time do you want to tell us about? And and one thing I talked to Sensei Suino about, his reason for joining martial arts, uh, how physical was it in terms of fighting? What kind of fights were you getting into before you understood what martial arts was?
3: Well, uh, when I was younger, I I moved around a lot. So I, I, I And then I moved from um, a French situation to an English situation uh, at the age of eight. I, I can only say two English words, mutter and fodder. Mm-hmm. So I, um, uh, I had course. a hard time in school, catching up in that, and then I didn't have much of um, interest in it. So I I failed miserably and then uh, eventually ended up dropping out of school. And I knew I had to do something. I unfortunately fell in with a um, bunch of rougher people who ride motorcycles and, and I knew that wasn't After a very short while, I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. So I looked for something to belong to, you know, like it was good to belong to those group of bikers because there was a camaraderie and a good uh, somebody to back you up all the time. But uh, I wanted something a little bit better, something that I didn't want to be 55 years old and have been an outlaw biker or something all my life. So I looked for something and... uh, a friend of mine told me, said, hey, this, you should go and they are starting a karate club in London, down at this place, you should go and have a look at it. It's probably something that you really enjoy. I really owe that personal life. So you you
0: were a leader in the bike world, right? You were doing well, at, like in terms <laughs> of having respect, I'll say. And it, you literally just thought, no, this ain't it. Like something inside you said no.
3: Yeah, well, I was brought up. Pretty decent, you know on the east Coast, and that was a lot of uh, and some of the things that I saw and i didn't i didn 't want to do that myself i was I liked um, the part you were talking about before i got into a lot of uh, some rough uh, confrontations, sometimes were more than one, sometimes it was one on one and uh, when I joined karate I, I got to say that I was uh, I was a bit prepared for the rough stuff, you know, for the physical part. And, and when you join karate, you go for the physical aspect. You, uh, I don't think that many people know about uh, the other part under the water from, you know, like the iceberg thing, mm-hmm. right? So uh, most people go thinking, getting in good shape, getting to be a good fighter. My reason was definitely to be a good fighter.
0: And Sensei Sweeto, I know you were interested in asking about the, that first night, that first week in karate.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you asked me about um, several firsts, and one of them was the, I've just gotten a screen reporting thing, hopefully everything still hear me okay? Yep, uh, all good, go. got the yeah, same thing, go. Sensei. Okay, um, uh, you asked me about, you know, lots of firsts, and one of them was mm-hmm. the first night in Yokohama at the Kanagawa Budokan, and how I, uh, um Hunch, I don't know if you were there listening to that, but you know, I I, I walked in, and uh, there were 27 people at, at the judo dojo, and and they they made me fight this brown belt, which I did very well, and then I had to fight the 26 black belts, which I did <laughs> not do very well. Um, but you never forget your firsts, right, uh, in martial arts and a lot of other things. And I was really interested to hear um, if you, uh, hunch, if you had some if you had some firsts as well in, along the way that you remember. I
3: remember one time, the first time I ever ran into a judo guy, I was in Michigan, and (laughs) it was actually uh, Nick, and um, I had never really ran into grappling before, you know, never into a real grappler like like you, and so when we were hugging, I just reached around the back, and I grabbed his belt, and then he whispered (laughs) to me, you're gonna find out. I let go right away and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that was the <a> first.
1: That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You remember
1: that, don't you? I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember saying that, but I remember the meeting. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, Sensei, if you feel comfortable with it, you should talk about the first time you walked in the door and your experience when you opened the door and what happened.
3: Uh, in the dojo, yeah. When you went to
2: Harold Warden's dojo,
3: yeah. Well, yeah. First time Harold had quite a big club. He had like uh, hundreds and hundreds of students early in the in the early '70s. So I was just moved to London, and I really wanted to join that club. When my friend told me, so when I went over, it was in a basement, massive, massive, uh, fifteen hundred square feet, and. um as I was walking downstairs, I was just going to open a door, and about sixty people let go of a key eye, and it just like shook the whole room. <laughs> I got a little bit, um, I got a little bit nervous at the time, and I thought, "Gee, should I go in there?" And I didn't. I turned around, walked back up the stairs, got in my car, and went on. It sort of shocked me a little bit, right? But uh, fortunately, I got the nerve up uh, about a week later and went back
2: thank god for that that's one of those aha moments sensei where if you didn't go back i can't like none of us would be sitting on this call talking to each other then 90 something people would not be on this call like i can't imagine how many lives would have been impacted had you not chose to go back on the second day
0: so sensei one thing i know that i'm super interested in and I, i agree with that i mean yeah, it's, we, could, we could talk all night just about our gratitude for that night and that moment. But one thing that I know so many of the younger students are interested in is just the time capsule aspect. Like what was a dojo in 1971 like? But also what was like the ranking like? Like how did you get your yellow belt? How'd you get your green belt? Can you talk through a bit of that? Like the journey to your black belt? I know it was briefer back then because there weren't as many katas that everybody knew. And it might not have been as systematic for you at that time. So can you just chat a bit about getting those early belts or you know who you had to fight in the dojo and how that went before you met Benny Allen?
3: Uh yeah, it was um it was a little bit things were a bit plainer. Everything was just sort of developing at that time. Mm-hmm. And a yellow belt was a yellow belt, you didn't see like three or four or twelve or twenty stripes on on a person's belt, right? um the people trained harder in those times they didn't expect them themselves to become you know the next belt they, they really trained hard i find that now uh, a lot of the dojos are open and they have to keep the business side open so they do things that they've incorporated into the martial arts to i suppose make it better in modern time and eventually come up with a different type of martial art called sport karate. Mm -hmm. So I think that when we were trying to become martial artists back in those days, we were trying to become the martial artists from the Orient, as opposed to the business guy, more like try to be the greatest martial artist you could be, as opposed to the greatest school you have. So there is, I guess, a bit of a trade-off there somewhere. But in, in my heart, I have a hard time changing my martial arts for the business side of it. And that's probably why I don't have um, a great, great amount of schools, you know. But yep. my, students, my students have the same desire. They're more interested in the art than anything else.
0: I know that's true for everyone on this call. And then, uh, if, do you mind telling the story? Am I not wrong that the teacher real early on said, hey, try and hit this other belt, a guy who ranked higher, when you were like a white or yeah, yellow belt?
2: I think he's alluding to uh, when you punch Jack in the head and you got like a an orange belt or a blue <laughs> belt like on the spot or something.
3: Oh, it was actually when I went to a tournament and I, and I won a tournament. And then when I got back, like I do know. And I hate to say that, because I'm gonna mention my sensei's name, right? But I I never even had a yellow belt. I I started off by going in, and within the first six months, getting myself moving along because of the fighting side, probably the the rougher side of of the martial arts. So I liked fighting, I got into that, and I I won a few tournaments. in those days, like I said, it was, it was early, so they, I got an orange belt, which is equivalent to our green belt now.
0: Yeah, so you, you skipped a, a grade through your fighting. And what, what, what made Harold Warden say, you got to go meet Benny Allen? And tell us about that. Tell us about
3: going to meet Benny Allen. Well, I, Harold Warden, back in those days, a big, big high-ranking belt was like a second Dan. Like, you know, like Wally Sloki was a second Dan. Every time we got near him, our our jaws would drop just to just to be standing near the guy. Right. Oh, what was you want to get me back on there?
0: Yeah, just to, uh, to to getting back to your intro to Benny Allen and oh, yeah. why Harold Warden said go to Benny yeah. Allen and what it was like meeting him, how that first night or first year went.
3: Yeah, we had a lot of good fighters and that and. Um, John Pearson, Merv Sharp, um, Jack Dunham, those guys who were like, they didn't wanna be fooling around. These guys wanted to wanted to train hard. We used to lock ourselves in a 12 by 12 room with a counter on it, three of us with boxing gloves on. And two of us would stand on the floor and the third person would sit up on the counter and the other two guys would try to knock each other out. And if a guy got hit hard enough that he got stunned and couldn't continue, He'd sit up on the counter the other guy dropped in and we would do that maybe for 45 minutes to an hour and when we walked out the room was just the walls were sweating and you know we were sliding on the floor so these guys said
2: they didn't know what it was like to sit on the counter
3: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that um, Harold who was a newer martial artist uh saw that we had maybe some potential or that we needed something a little tougher a little stronger so um he brought us to um Don Warner's club to meet um, at 1109 Main Street East in Hamilton to uh meet Benny Allen and uh, he eventually out of his own kindness uh hired Benny Allen teach me karate, because at that time I wasn't working. I could never afford anything like that. So Mm -hmm. we did become partners in uh, London self-defense center. But um, at that time, he actually paid from my training with Benny Allen. That's amazing. Yeah. The transition took place on weekends. I would, I would train all week. And then on Friday nights, I would go to Toronto, train with Benny Allen all weekend and then Sunday night drive home. Monday, go back to my club. And what was your impression when you first saw Benny Allen? Tell us about that. (laughs) Well, yeah, the first time I saw Benny Allen, 1109 Main Street East, I'm I'm sitting on the floor with John Pearson. I'm a green belt. And I'm maybe like 12 feet away. And I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone, right? So
1: I'm sitting there and this
3: guy comes walking out. He's got track pads on and a white t-shirt and running shoes. And he walks up in front of the mirror in front of us and he starts walking around doing all these these moves and his shoes are squeaking and making all this this noise and uh, I lean over to Pearson with my big mouth and I said, so who do you suppose the old man is having an epileptic fit up is up there? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that actually happened. Yeah. all of a sudden he stops, he turns around and he goes, line up. Right there I knew something wasn't gonna go right, right? <laughs> I didn't know he was Benny <laughs> Allen, right? And um, right away he just pointed at me and said, you, come over here. So I thought, well, maybe the guy likes me or something. you know. So I went up there and he just did this. Like, you can see my hand. He just did that, just dropped his hand On the top of my chest very he didn't wind up he just went boom hit the top of my chest and I felt the bottom of my gi pants go boof and the next thing I felt in the bottom of my pants were the heels of my own feet when he hit me on the chest I didn't go back my knees collapsed and I dropped straight down my butt hit the floor my feet rolled up over top of my head And I stood up as quick as I could, totally embarrassed. So, yeah. Yeah, but um, that taught me a very valuable lesson that, you know, I'm not the president of a motorcycle club here. I'm facing everyone in this room is a trained martial artist. So that sort of changed my view on being a tough guy. So you didn't, I mean, you're a young guy, you were a tough guy.
0: You didn't have a fuck this guy moment. You went, oh, I, I want to know how to do this. Yes. Because you could have gone either way there, right? And you kind of took the right well, road, I'd I say. Could've, I could
3: have, I could have, but um, when he touched me like that, it just I just thought there was, so much, there was so much more, you know, to this guy. Benny That's Allen right. has a charisma, he had a, had a charisma, right? He yeah.
0: So, I just want to read a little something for the people watching. This is on Don Warner's Warner Entertainment site. And uh, basically, if you don't know, Mas uh, Siroka was the father of karate in Canada. That's his title. He came in the 50s, uh, did Chito Ryu. And one of his students was uh, Benny Allen, who started Eastern Karate. Now, what this says on this website some of Benny Allen's top students were Wally Sloki, Teddy Martin, Tony Facetti, Don Warner, Bill Hines, Gary Legacy. Uh, if you don't know that sensei legacy we're talking to, just to name a few. And then what it goes on to say is that um, the training in Benny Allen's dojo was nothing short of brutal. Uh, only the strong survived. He didn't care if he quit. So was it brutal? Did only the strong survive? And, and now jump in to tell us about that crew because half those guys, if not all of them, are in the Hall of Fame. You were there on the ground floor of brutal martial arts in Canada. What's up with that? How was it?
3: You did not fool around in Benny Allen's class. Nobody did. There was, there were normally 30, 40 students. Warm up was um, an hour, an hour and a half. Then you had a three hour class after that. I remember one time, I think uh, Donnie Warren even um, admits it himself that uh, one time Benny Allen called him panty waste. That's what he would call guys that then you know, belly up to the bar, so to speak, when, during fighting time, he got knocked down and he's having a hard time getting up. So he said, get up, panty waster, go home and don't come back. And that was your, your choice. You, you trained harder, you went home. And most of the time, you're too scared to leave. <laughs> you, do, you don't know, right? He's not gonna touch you, but you don't know. You're a bit nervous. And then the guys we're fighting with, or the guys who we're training with. Uh, um, the person that made me most nervous was Bill Hind, because he, uh, he didn't like many people. By that, I mean, he, in, he didn't talk very much. If he said hi to you, you were lucky. And uh, during each class, whenever uh, Bill Hind would, or excuse me, Benny Allen would say, pick a partner and do this. He would always just yell so everybody could hear as loud as he could, legacy, and everybody would like open up like the Red Sea or the Dead Sea, whatever it was, and uh, (laughs) uh, he would just be on the other end doing this, calling me over, and he would like jump on my back, and he was a big man, and he'd make me kick up and down the floor while he was riding on my back and, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that.
0: Um, quick question, by the way, to the people sending questions in, uh, trust me, we're getting these. I, I, I just, I'm going to feather them in as we touch on those sort of areas. But a question that did just come in, that's really re- relevant to this time uh, sense of legacy is were they adults only classes? Was Benny Allen teaching any kids or was it just adults only
3: at that time? In I had, never seen, I had never seen children. Yeah. Myself. I had yeah. never seen any children. Yeah. I don't know if he had children's classes or not. Yeah. So, uh, so you, I, you I think, think the, um, Franco, if he's listening, I think Franco was uh, uh, a young kid. So I don't know, he would be able to tell us if he was here. Right on. Yeah. So you're training with basically
0: what we now know is the best of the best at the time. You're stealing yourself, and it comes time for your black belt. You want to talk about getting your black belt and uh, <laughs> the lessons you might have learned <laughs> along
3: the way? <laughs> you see that there? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Benny Allen was, is a no nonsense guy. And when I was young, uh, um, uh, I was a bit aggressive, I guess I'll say. And um, I really, really wanted a black belt. Like it was the one thing in my life I wanted more than anything. I was never going to quit until I got it. And so, in uh, a sense, he asked me to do my katas. We're actually in a park. Uh, and by beaches and um, there were two or three of us that, that were going through this grading and then once we did the katas and we did the fighting and everything I was still like hyper ready to go adrenaline flowing and I said gee sensei is that it? Is that all? <laughs> you don't say that to your sensei when you're <laughs> when you getting graded right <laughs> so he just very calmly and I don't know if he's any of you know him or not, but he just calmly, you could see it in his head going, uh, well, all right then, come with me. So <laughs> I, follow, I followed him and he walked over to a, a maple tree about maybe 10 inches in diameter. And he said, all right, I want you to uh, punch that tree as hard as you can. And I sort of looked at him, and with the knowledge that uh, nothing's going to happen to the tree, right? Okay. So my choice was to chicken out or hit it. So before I lost my nerve, I just hammered that tree as hard as I can. So it, it pushed my, uh, my front knuckles, my, the back of my hand here, an inch and a half over my wrist. And uh, it never went back. I never went, as you can see, it goes up and down there from that impact to my other one. You know, flat that is. This one I was broken there. It was instant Zen. Was, I was introduced to Zen there. Yeah. Instantly.
2: Sensei, how far did you have to punch into the ground after you punched <laughs> the tree?
0: <laughs> I was like, are you asking or am I, Sensei? No fast.
3: <laughs> and then you said, well, you did that one for you because you wanted, you're a black belt, you thought you needed something. Now I want you to do something for me. You said, I want you to kneel down on on the grass and I want you to punch up to your wrist into the ground. So I knelt down again before, and I was punching the ground. It, it sounded a lot like somebody walking in wet shoes. It was going as I punched the ground and when I got about halfway to my wrist, he said, okay, see, that's enough. I can't take it, get back in line. <laughs> and that was it. He did give me my black belt, though. He felt sorry for me, I think. And
0: um, he said something along the lines of you already had it, right? Like, is, is that, am I adding that or is that?
3: No, I, I already had it. It was my big mouth and I learned a lot there. I really did. I, when I was a a biker, I would say whatever I wanted because I could back it up in the, in the situations. But in situations like this, you can't always back it up. There are always somebody. There's always somebody better than you. Mm-hmm. And if you're good, if you win a world championship, you only want it for that moment. The next day, it's it's all changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, talk to us about the period from then,
0: your training with Benny Allen until you ended up. Uh, working with Richard Kim.
3: Oh, what a tough guy he was. Like that man, I think when they laid him down, he had pieces of my skin under his fingernails and possibly a lot of other martial artists that are listening here. Mm -hmm. I I remember him just flinging his fingers at me and hearing it just like uh, you know, when you were a young kid, you put a hole in your ruler and tie it to a string and whip it around, it would make a whirly noise. He would throw techniques like that with his hands open at us and it would go by going and The guy just had incredible power, right? Mm-hmm. It's basically technique, knowing how to deliver that technique. I didn't learn how to do it. And I'm not that good at it. Billy Hines is probably the greatest student of uh, Benny Allen's as far as teaching his style of Okichisai Goju. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And what what led you to Richard Kim?
3: <laughs> Classical. Sean, can, oh, we
2: back to, can we come back to that sensei? I just there's one thing that um, a lot of people that you don't talk about much Um, And it it touches on a little bit of the type of student that you are. Could you speak a little bit to uh, what led to Benny Allen actually living with you? Because a lot of people don't realize that he actually lived in your home with
3: you. Yes. Yeah. Near the end there. um, You know, I'm going to tell you because I'm at that age now. There's a point in your martial arts like that you don't have that, that power, that strength, that you're smarter and you know, you can probably win fights, but you start, age starts to take over. And that takes away from you a little bit. You start to, you start, you want to be always 40, but you can't. I think that happened to Benny Allen. He had a hard time dealing with that because, you know, When you pour your soul and you give part of yourself to students who become uh, you know your students and like maybe almost your children and then when it's their turn to help you and they turn their backs and walk away and leave you there that's that's pretty rough that's pretty tough i was really lucky i have a lot of good students of my own who stuck with me all you people here but that didn't happen to belling a lot of uh, benny a lot of his great students went out on their own in business and in business it's almost like they denied him just like the apostles did Christ you know and I think that hurt him that hurt him a lot and he had nowhere to go at that time so I I just told him to come and stay with me and that's quite an adventure he stayed with me for almost a year just about a year, the better part of a year. And he was an interesting uh, person outside of karate. You know, sometimes we'd be, just for instance, we'd be sitting there talking, and uh, he would just get up, you know, walk out the door, you wouldn't see him for seven days, and then he'd walk back in the door and just continue what what he was doing before. You know, he just...
2: You know. sense and he's then, good at uh, taking people in, he takes, like, I got the opportunity to live with him for a while, too, when he didn't want me sleeping in my truck anymore. He let me move in with him for a little <laughs> while as well. He takes in all, he takes in all the hobos. <laughs> uh, I've,
0: uh, I've lived on his couch for two weeks when I was coming off a tough drug stint. Yeah. So, okay, you know what? This actually leads to a great question that someone asked, Christina. What, if anything, do a sensei and their student owe each other? I beg your pardon? Uh, the question from Christina Bialik is... What, if anything, do a sensei and a student owe each other? Seems like a good time for that question.
3: Well, being that the sensei gives you freely, and if he's giving it, not really much. Because um, they don't owe each other. But out of respect and out of um, gratitude, then you should, there is a great student-sensei relationship right? Um, it's like Randy and I, for instance. Um, uh, it's a two-way street. You're not, I'm not a sensei a you people out there. And then all of you, hopefully, become sensei. So uh, speaking on that, it would, like Richard Kim's idea was to change the whole world to our way through martial arts, you know, to be uh, more polite to each other. better neighbors, etc. That's why he tried to move martial arts from a um, uh, fighting art into a, everyone being a doctor and a professor and move it to that side. Sort of a gentleman's club and taking away a lot from the actual physical fighting. Mm-hmm. He would say and Fanakoshi would say that during uh, real um, heavy times, if you train good enough at Kata, you could defend yourself. But, you know, if you run into a good street fighter, a guy who fights a lot, it will be difficult. Or into somebody who is not themselves, you know, on some heavy drug or something like that. It gets pretty heavy when you're fighting in the street. You, You have that You have that fear, there's always that chance of somebody getting seriously hurt. People don't see that when they are in a dojo and the sensei stops everything. And Mm -hmm. I unfortunately, as a biker, maybe not unfortunately, I've been in, I was in a few street, real heavy street fights. And even a couple after I was a martial artist that were much easier when I was a martial artist. when I wasn't.
2: Sensei once fought five people simultaneous. (laughs) He only had to knock out out the first guy and then the other guys realized that they were making a mistake.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You wanna talk about that, Sensei? It's up to you. Uh,
3: Um, Not really. Yeah. That's what it
0: was. No problem, we'll leave that one for tonight. So, Uh, you know, Benny Allen starts to pull away a little as you talked about and and maybe wasn't as motivated as he started to lose what he considered his edge. Maybe not you. So we've often said, and maybe you've said it to us, that Benny Allen gave you your motor, your power, your punch, and then Richard Kim built the car around it. Would you say that's accurate? And what, what brought you from Benny Allen to like running Richard Kim's organization in Canada?
3: Well, I, You have to start physically, right? You go in and you start physically, you get your body, mind and spirit and harmony. You get yourself to be a good fighter, which is really good uh, muscle control and you know all that, all that. And be learning the way of the warrior. That's what martial arts is, is the way of the warrior. Warrior's war. So I, I at the beginning when I came in, I, and I still, we're still martial artists, right? Um, but there were other parts, there was, there was some depth to it. And I was really looking for someone to convince me or to take me through the, the side of, uh, the classical side of the martial arts. A lot like what Sensei Swino was talking about the other day. It's hard to get that sense of what the Japanese and the Budo overhear, because we have a different mind. We brought up different. It's easy to pick up the fighting because I'm, I'm a fighter. I learned their blocks and kicks and punches. And then you, there is no accent, no anything. When you step in the ring, you're just knocking the other guy out. It's it's pretty simple, really. But when you wanna learn something, when you wanna when you bring the art to its fullest, you need to learn it all before you can eliminate any of it, right? So um, I was really lacking on that. Len, uh, I could feel it myself, and probably the best guy at that time was Richard Kim. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a way of bottom. He was a bit of he was a professor, and he could get points across to you very well. And I really respected him for that, even though I was ten years in his class and never fought once. Right? (laughs) Yeah. And I know, but he he
2: threatened the other people, Sensei. he would threaten the Americans with the Canadians, right?
3: Yeah, we'd go down to San Francisco and, uh, and uh, the YMCA there. And when we'd come down, Leo Lauchs, John Pearson, a bunch of us would would come down and uh, train with him. He'd line all the American people against us. He'd put all the Canadians along the wall and then line all the Americans, which were maybe four or five more than us, four or five times more than us. And he'd have them come in to attack us one at a time. They did that one time for a whole Saturday afternoon. And uh, I'm not bragging or anything like that, but the Canadians were giving the Americans a really rough ride. And then after that, he was a bit embarrassed. So uh, after that, um, he always threatened them, he said, I gotta get the the Canadians down here to kick your ass. <laughs> that's, the way, <laughs> that's the way he would talk. He was a he, he was a polite, really nice gentlemanly guy, but once in a while he would get his point across like that. You wouldn't hear that too much, though.
0: Sensei, sweet, you know, I know you might have some notes to compare with Sensei Legacy about training with someone from another culture, from such a distinctly right. other
3: culture. Is there anything there that I'd like to? To say one other thing about Richard Kim, they let you know what kind of a man he was. We were in uh, Hamilton one time training and um, uh, he trained in his own, he changed in his own room and we would come out the black belt room. And when I came out the black belt room, he just happened to be coming. So I waited and allowed him to walk in front of me. We had to go down a hall, enter into another room, which had a bit of an entrance, okay. So I stopped and I let him walk in front of me and as he turned left, I seen him stop and bow. And as I got to the corner, then I saw his back and he was walk- he was walking away. And I walked around the corner and it was a picture of the sacred heart of Jesus. Uh, if you're not a Catholic, I don't know if you'll know what that is, but it's a picture of Jesus, his heart is showing. And I was quite curious. I, I said, well, oh, he's a Buddhist. Like, uh, wonder what that meant. That was someone over and I said, to, excuse me, sensei, um, i was just wondering uh, what happened there with over in the corner? What were you bowing at? He looked at me, and said, legacy. Jesus was a very great Buddha. That's all he said. So I think he was trying to get all of us into that, to that side of the martial arts.
0: Can, uh, I know a bunch of people are asking questions along the line of what I'm about to ask you. Can you go too far to that side of the martial arts?
3: <laughs> it depends how you're asking that question. Like, uh, if you're a religious man like Richard Kim, by religious I mean spiritual, No. Uh, because that's what we are all part of we all part of that it's just that we do, some people uh, don't follow will say jesus christ because they don't understand or they don't know or they don't believe it right but if there is uh, something like that that's part of uh, our life then it probably should be mm-hmm. but i'm not sure personally
0: yeah and uh what led you to, to run his organization? H- how did he ask you to do that? How'd that come about and how was that for you?
3: It was an election and um, uh, I don't really want to go over what was going on at the time. Things were, were rough in the Batokukai at the time. So uh, lucky for me, I had a lot of black belts and we went to the um elections. <laughs> and somebody nominated me in all my black belts. So I didn't last at that, that very long. As you know, I'm not much of a, a book guy. So yep. I um, I led the, uh, the association mainly on the floor, and, and then eventually I just gave it to Dennis Robatic, who was much better suited to do that sort of thing than I was.
0: And was that sort of your first experience in, like, I'm not really into the political side of martial arts? Like, you had an opportunity there. You could have run with that. You could have been that guy. And instead, you went, I'd, I'd rather just train.
3: I'd rather just train, yeah. I've I'm, I'm just, I've always been that way. I don't know. You know, I, I wish I could be a great like John Terian or uh, Cesar Bukowski or those guys who, who really, really had good, strong um, dojos and – and big associations and everything. I have, I have one myself, but it's because you guys you're just interested in training. Same, you get off on the same thing I do. So you, we train hard, and we're we're pretty close. There isn't there isn't uh, yeah too sense- much it. When we train, we don't we not too often sit around and talk about philosophy and different stuff. We we we'll go in and. We start sweating, punching, kicking.
0: Hurry up, run. Sensei know you must have had a lot of opportunities with the sword the same way to go politically instead of let's just go hit the floor and do three hours of cuts.
1: Yeah, and um, and uh, probably stayed in that. I mean, I'm still in that in some associations. There's a real challenge, and Hanji, I'm sure you've seen this too. There's a real challenge because um, associations in martial arts just seem to bring out the most the the most um (laughs) put it competitive or uh you know if 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 100 people join an association right 15 of them are going to be training hard at the beginning and training hard at the end but the other 85 are just going to be sucked into this vortex of of vying for position and and trying to get medals and setting up events and it just seems like while the idea of an association is great uh, it doesn't seem to always lend itself to a to a great experience in martial arts. That's what I've seen. I'm I'm wondering what you've seen.
3: Well yeah it's because of the people who run it. They become they become um, jealous I guess is a word or you know as you know uh, I I was going to join to an association in the United States one time and I, I didn't do it because the people were a bit I think they were nervous of I don't know what they were nervous of. I think they thought I wanted to take over their association or, or something but I, I have no interest in that at all. So this is, this is a great question because I actually want to ask you this because
0: I've known you for 28 years and, and very well for like 24. Like we you know we, we found our closeness relatively early I know that you don't want to do that, but have you found that showing up with a bunch of students who just want to learn freaks the fuck out of the people who you're going to visit when an entourage arrives and you're just there quiet and just listening and they're like, why is he here? What does he want? But you're not even thinking that way?
3: Well, I think it's, you know what that is? I think it's, if it's anything, um, it's a lack of uh, training. They just do not have confidence in themselves. Like we're all warriors, like you need, you need to go in and do the prop, proper training. Mm-hmm. You don't go in for a half an hour and hang around.
2: Richard Kim said it, right, Say He taught you that lesson. What's the final arbitrator?
3: You can say that all the time. This is the final arbitrator. You could talk and do all you want, but when it comes to it, this is what is the final arbitrator. That's what allows you to say what you want. Or stop the other person from saying what they want that's just symbolic right
2: Sensei, um, we're get we're we're an hour in like we've gone through an hour of talking like just like that we haven't wow. talked about census sandoval at all um, and we've only got about a half hour to go but there's a couple other things there's there's lots of people on this call who have not uh, you know most of the like sense you know, or sense of Benson and I, we are intimate with some of these things. But I think, uh, you know, of your your fighting days, one of the things that would come up that people might like to know about, well, there's two things. One would be your fight with uh, Sato Katsukai, the, the, the first Kyokushinkai world champion, like what led you, which that's a time between Richard Kim and Benny Allen. What led you to New York City through Harlem with John Pearson to that? What was it like walking up those steps into that dojo? Who was refereeing? How did, <coughs> what were you wearing you him? What, how did you feel that went?
3: I was with John Pearson and um, I got invited by Kyokushin Kaikan to go to the dojo and um, fight Sato. Sato was the very first all Japan, full contact, bare hand champion. He was a big man, he was big. Um, uh, again, uh, I don't know if that was smart or not. Just going I was just so interested in, in being a good fighter and, and wanting to fight. But I went in there and Nakamura sensei was there from Japan and he, uh, or he was a Japanese. He was then living in New York City, um, and he was here to have a um, non-title fight for the next day. And um, when I was there, I was looking for an association, and I looked at Kyokushin Kai kan because they were known for their their rough fighting. So um, then he, Nakamura asked me if I if I thought. I would like to try, um, because I was there to join our association, they probably wanted to see how I was going to handle myself. So he asked me if I would, I want to fight a couple of three rounds with um, Sato, you know, for my pleasure. And um, it got pretty rough. (laughs) It got rough. Um, And um, at the end, I'm just going to say this because I, I know what. And at the end, when Nakamura said, uh, Yame, I don't think it was Nakamura, it was somebody else. Um, Yame, I went over and I stood on my line. And when I stood standing at the edge of my line, he, he stepped across the line and punched me in the face. <laughs> right like in the middle, we was standing there, you know, like going to bow. He just went like this and punched me in the face. He was so enraged, um, and Nakamura started screaming at him in Japanese, and that was the end of it, right
1: there. So,
2: so it's proper sensei that you don't talk about the the particulars of the fight, I think. But um, I spoke to John Pearson, and I've spoke to people. John Pearson was in the room when you were fighting, <laughs> and John Pearson said that. Uh, I don't know, I'm just using his words. He said that you, you handled yourself extremely well against Sato. Said that you actually, you knocked him on the ground a number of times. And there was a particular thing that Sato was doing before you would knock him to the ground. And I'm just curious if you could explain to everybody what Sato's big game was uh, before he would initiate an attack on you.
3: Yeah, he would stomp his foot to get you to move. He'd he'd stomp his front foot to get you to move, or if you didn't move, you know he would he would have a plan, right? So uh, after the second time, I thought, geez, he's gonna. As soon as I seen his heel going up, I shifted in. I would slam him with a punch. Like I said, I'm I'm not a big man. I'm five foot seven. I weigh one hundred and seventy two pounds, and he was probably like six foot and probably here you on know, somewhere 200 pounds and um, fear had a lot to do with it you know you're nervous you want to get in there i just like to the inside and just hit him as hard as i could that was it Simple. For, the, for
2: the people on the call if you want to google that name it's sato katsuaki k-a-t-s-u-a-k-i sato katsuaki you'll see him he's huge since he's not exaggerating he's a really big man
3: yeah Uh, Get a young picture of him. He he doesn't quite look the same now. (laughs) He's a bigger, fatter. (laughs) Uh, Let's say, how
2: about... uh, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, fitting, you know, you always talk about Wally Sloki being your hero and a guy that you looked up to from the moment you walked into the dojo. Um, You know, you're a person who... In my mind, like, there's no better fighter than you, Sensei. Like, I have emulated everything I do around what you do and trying to meet that expectation um, and that standard, quite frankly. I just wonder, you know, but we all have, have had experiences where we, met, we came up against somebody at a certain time when we, things didn't line up. And I'm wondering if you could talk about the first time that you met Wally Sloki and how that, how that went and how that worked out for you.
3: Okay. It was, uh, I was a green belt. That's my defense. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Wally was like just in his early twenties, 21 or 22. He's a black belt. He like, let me tell you, when you hear something about Wally Sloki being good when he was young, Wally Sloki was good when he was young. He was like the best we had. Right. So he, he came, um, uh, he came down to our dojo, he was hired by Harold Warden, my first teacher, to um, come down and give us a class. So while he came down, but he had a broken arm. One, his um, right arm was in a cast from the elbow down. So he came in and he literally fought me with his hand behind his back. <laughs> he put, put his hand behind my back, was standing in the ring. And uh, I thought, oh yeah, well, what am I gonna do here? All of a sudden I rushed him. And I threw my right leg behind him, put my hand on his chest, and slammed my hand into his chest. And he flipped up in the air and landed on the floor on his back. And the whole room went, ooh. I didn't know what was going to happen next, right? (laughs) So he gets up really quietly, and he just looks at me. And he said, well, I'm going to hit you here and here and here. And there isn't anything you're going to be able to do about it. And then he threw a three kick combo and then hit me with a sidekick. And I flew over the first two rows of people and landed in the third row on my back. John Pearson was was sitting there, sitting there on the floor, going, Stay down, stay down. What do you think I do? I got up. <laughs> I got up and went back up there and he just continued to beat the hell out of me for you know, five or 10 minutes. Five or 10 minutes, getting beat up by Wally Sloki is um, a long time. (laughs) But I liked it. I loved it. Yeah.
0: So I want to keep moving through the path of of where you go next with this. But I want to jump into the question that I know, especially some of the newer people listening are going to be interested in, which is, you know, a lot of what you're describing is moving at the front edge of something where you don't know what the result is going to be, almost making what could be silly choices. Like a friend is watching going, stay down, and you're like, fuck that. Somebody would not punch a tree as hard as they can. And Mm. you got instant zen. And I know you mean that. That's not just a clever phrase. So how how much do you think, and a lot of people are asking questions, and I'm going to wrap it into a bit of a one. Modern karate still includes like the chance to truly like hurt yourself or explore um, versus how much is that maybe too much? And should you bother? Or should there be more of it?
3: Well, uh, it depends what your mindset is again. If you're talking about modern day karate, yes. But uh, when you, you wanna learn um, the classical art or uh, the way of the warrior, right, with the way of warrior, I don't think that there isn't uh, enough training. Because back in those, okay, I'll I'll try to back up on that. (laughs) Back in those days, when you fought, when you went out and you fought, it was for your life, right? A lot of the times when you fought with somebody and you killed them, you buried them on the beach, right? Or you buried them somewhere. Karate nowadays, nowadays is trying to uphold that idea, right? but there's, where do you train for something like that? I mean, where where do you practice or where do these things all get pushed from? So the ancient art or the way they handled the ancient art is a little bit different than what they do today. Like I, uh, I, I myself don't like martial arts today and, and with all the kids running around with all the different stripes and they say, Well, you put them on that because it makes them more excited to go to Karate, because are you also not, you're trying to build strong minds, are you not taking away from them being able to understand where they are? Like, you got to be able to know where you are as a human being, whether you're a martial artist, what you know in martial arts, you know, in the real beginning, there really wasn't, in the real beginning, there really wasn't any belts. And then they got the belts. That wasn't enough. They started putting stripes on them. And what are they going to do next? I, I, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. Me, it's the information, not the belt. So once so you have that information. You're my <laughs> What's that?
2: Yeah. I'm so <laughs> glad
3: you're my sensei. <laughs> so it's, you know, when you have the information if you're strong enough and smart enough to have the information, you're strong enough and smart enough to know that you're a sec- second guppy on your third belt or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, <laughs> sorry. I, I don't mean to be a smart ass, but
0: that is my personal feeling. No, I really appreciate it. I, I echo what he sent oh, it
3: said. Yeah. All you people out there ask your sensei how many stripes he got.
2: We do know somebody, Sensei, who once wore, like, all those students wore, like, 14 belts
3: while they were in the yeah, class. That's what I mean. <laughs> Guy was wearing three belts. I went to a guy's seminar one time. He invited me to go. And all these students were wearing all his belts, the white belt, the yellow belt, the green belt, and the blue belt. He says, so they don't forget where they came from. What the hell is that? I mean, there were people I like remember, that.
2: Since I remember leaving that seminar because Benjamin was with us. It was me, you, and Benny, and we were going to get in your car. He said, Uncle Gary, why do they wear all those belts? And you looked at him and said, because they're stupid, Benny.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well.
2: so, just so you know, my, son, my son's name is Benjamin. I named him after Benny Allen I named him after uh, Sensei Legacy's teacher. Yeah.
0: So just to tag on to that before we get back into your path toward the white crane and Sensei Sandoval and this is from Alden and it's a bit of a summary of what a lot of people are asking but so you've talked about the changes in the martial arts and what you've seen becoming too prevalent what you don't love as much um how should the martial arts change what, what and this will be a bit of what Sensei Russell asked, Mike Russell, if you were looking into the future and you could be like, in 10 years, I'd rather it be more like this, or I'd rather it stayed the same. What would you say to that?
3: It, the change has to take place in the Senseis. It's the Senseis that are changing, that are changing the martial arts, because they're the ones that are allowing giving the black belts before it's, it's time to, or before a person is ready, or, or, or that. So w- what we really need is, what we needed and what's happening now is, they should have a sport karate, but call it something else. But the karate we need to return to is, is um, uh, the karate from the ancient days. They ch- if you look at their physical training, they They trained to save their lives every day it, they couldn't not train right in those days so i I just that's the art that I want that I wanted to join the one where these guys when they were a black belt uh, you know people were awed by it Now you see um thirteen uh, year old black belts i I had a lady call me the other day who's Whose daughter is 13 years old and um, uh, she's competing all over the world and she's winning all these things but she wants her to learn some classical kata so that um, she can compete in the, the classical classical part of it as well so uh, her mother's talking to me and then I said to her uh, how old is your daughter she goes she's 13 I said, what belt level is she at? She said a black belt. And it just went quiet. She never said anything because I think she was waiting for me to say something negative or to to do that pause, right? And that's what I did. I just paused for a minute. And I said, 13? She goes, yes. I said, well, I will give her the benefit of the doubt, but you will have to come and see me. And... um, I will ask her to do a couple of kata's for me, and then I'll be able to tell you whether she's prepared to do what I do, right? And the lady never came, because there's a difference there. There's a difference between taking, look at me, there's a difference between taking a bow, and you watch the Okinawans do bow kata's today, they're still hanging on to the bows, they're still striking, they're moving fast, but they, they never take their bow and throw it and spin it and hold their hand open and the bow spinning around on it and stuff. Where's the martial virtue there? Like, if that bow hit something, wouldn't it stop moving? Like, it's a martial art, a military art. It has to have a military application. It, have to, it has to have a military application. We are warriors modern day warriors, we don't use it on the street anymore, but if all hell broke loose tomorrow, would you be able to go out in the street and defend your family? <laughs> it's, just, it's the same as that woman's, um, uh, that woman's daughter, uh, 13 years old, and I said to her, well, if somebody broke into your house at nighttime, would you or your husband go down or would you send your 13-year-old daughter who's a black belt? I think that got them right there. Kind of a dad would send your 13-year-old daughter downstairs. Somebody's breaking into the (laughs) house, right? But yet that tells you that 13-year-old people, no one under the age of 16, is really mentally strong enough. There may be a miracle or an exception somewhere, but nobody, nobody before 16 should be a black belt. In my humble opinion,
0: Sensei Suino, I see you nodding along there, and I know we've talked about the Budo and the heritage Japanese aspect. You you, you want to ask anything or chip in on that?
1: Well, I think one thing that Hanchi and I share is um, is uh, very high standards uh, for ourselves and for our students, and and I think that has to I think that has to hold. We, we've talked a lot about classical fighting and sport. Um, um so i think randy brings it together well when he says how you do anything is how you do everything Mm. um i I want my students to be if they're going to do the different aspects right i want my students to be great performers of kata i want them to be great sport judo players i want them to understand how to do self-defense um and i think the one thing that that is lacking and i hanchi you're you know preferred to, 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 to take this further but um is that high standards is that is that it's it's it, it is if this is really an elite pursuit then the standards have to be high and that means not everybody can do it that's right that's right yeah, right. yeah. yeah. by the way i'd just
3: like to mention also that sensei swina was also my eido teacher he was the guy i went and saw doing the iido. And was looking for someone in high standard for high standards, and out of everyone in there, I picked him because he was by far the best. This guy went to Japan for three years, four years, and won, beat the Japanese in Japan with the sword. That's how good this guy. Just saying.
0: So we're going to get to who 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 we've learned our crane from. So when in 1993, when I was looking for something to do at Western that wasn't volleyball. I saw a photo of you in your striped Hakamahanshi legacy doing a Shuto and I didn't know what I was looking at. It's what we talked about at the beginning, a sense of offense pointing at it. And I literally just said, I don't know what the fuck that is but I want to do that. I want, that picture feels like what I want to do. Now that picture could have been wrong. It turned out that it was just the tip of the iceberg. And I, I want to be brief with this because we only have so much time but there's an idea in acting that A bad actor acts like a king, a good actor walks on stage and everybody around him bows and that's how you know that guy's the king. So the first night I went to the demo, I'm looking around going, so what is this? I wonder what this karate thing is. And you walked on the floor and you didn't do a damn thing and the whole room went, there was respect, there was order. There was all the things that we all on this call know that martial arts is, and that I had been looking for for 18 years of my life. And I went, oh, and I looked at you and, and, and it unfolded as it did. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you for building that organization based on respect, but also from the very start, although we hadn't started training with Sensei Sandoval at that point, at that point in your martial arts, you'd spent the eighties building your club. You weren't with Richard Kim anymore. You were sort of like a Ronin. You were a fifth dan, and you were looking for the white crane. Can you just talk a hint about looking for the white crane and finding Sensei Sandoval? Because it would—it sounds like that's the next part of your journey after Richard ken
3: Yes, Sensei. I think
2: before, before you answer, I think it's really important that you talk a little bit about the hotel room and yeah. finding your way to Miami and. Yeah.
3: I. Um, I was, what happened to me was, uh, in Shore and Rue, you learn all your kata's up to when you're a fourth dan. After a fourth dan, there are six dan left. So here I am, a fourth dan, and um, I'm looking, like, what am I going to do in the next six dans? Like, yes, I could do, learn different things, start meshing everything around. But uh, I asked somebody, a friend of mine by the name of Terry Macaron, from a long, long Island, New York, who is a very, very famous uh, martial artist in the industry. And he said, what you're looking for, Gary, is the white grain. He says, it comes inshore and move after um, after your fourth camp. And then I asked him as, uh, as to where I could find something like that. And he, he mentioned a few people in Florida. So I, I went down to Florida and. I went to a really, really famous person. I asked him to show me the crane. He made a couple of moves and did a Chinese thing and it wasn't it. Like he was like trying to lead me along. I went to a couple of other persons and again it's they just they just couldn't show it to me. Everybody was saying they knew it, but nobody could show it to me the way I I asked. So um I called him back up and he said, okay, I want you to go see this guy. His name is Anthony Sandoval, he's a Texan, and um, he's gonna be in Florida teaching a seminar. So I went down there and uh, after the class was over, he was teaching the class and there were about 35 red and white belts learning the white grain from him. 35 red and white belts were underneath him you know, when he was teaching. And uh, when it was over, I, I asked if I could have an audience with him, and he invited me to his hotel room. And I said, I've been looking for Matsumura Haksuru so that I could finish off my shorin." He actually first tried to talk me out of it, because he said, it's a very minor style. It's not very big, but it's, it's Matsumura, because Matsumura only invented one white grain cutter. The rest were all put in to form a style. And I said, no, I, I don't want to learn the Kojo Brothers. I do not want to do Matayoshi. I want to do Matsuma white grain. And he said, all right. I said, well, can you show it to me, some of it to me? He moved all the furniture back in his room, made like a little makeshift little dojo there, and he began doing the katas. And he just kept going until he finished. He did the bunkai. He showed us a couple of things. He touched you with his finger and you, you know, your face would freeze or you couldn't move your arm. He's like touching nerves, doing stuff like that. And uh, when the demonstration was over, he just sat down. He's a very quiet man, he, he barely says anything. You know, he, if you ask him a question, he'll answer you, but he never like, you know, he's not very pushy nor very loud, he's very reserved. And I said to him, he was sitting over two people. And I said, Sensei, would you please accept me and my dojo, dojos, into your association? He just leaned back and went, That's that's as much as you get from him until he's teaching you. Um,
2: Sean, I just want to mention. Uh, I think it was Sensei's seventh then, I was at his seventh dan grading when. Uh, When Sensei says that he's a quiet man, Sensei Sandoval is a quiet man. We were watching a hockey game, a Montreal Canadiens game, sitting there. And uh, Sensei Sandoval was sitting at Sensei Legacy's kitchen table, like doing various moving papers around, writing different things. And then he came over and sat next to Sensei Legacy on his sofa and put a piece of paper on his lap. And I looked over and said, Sensei, what is that on your lap? And Sensei was really quiet. He's just looking down. I said, what is that on your lap? And Sensei, sensei Legacy says, oh, I guess I'm a seventh Dan.
3: Right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah. and that's, that's what happened there. And I will say that uh, one of the things that I know personally in talking to uh, Sensei Deneval is that when Sensei Legacy and him connected, he felt sense of legacy was severely underranked at the time mm-hmm. in the global community of martial arts that he was way behind. He said it many, many times that there's no way you should be a fifth in for 15 or 17 years while other people are, are just moving forward. So anyway, uh, Sensei it was a great man for catching Sensei legacy up in the community, not only teaching him, but, Uh, allowing him to be in the position that he should be in, in the martial arts community.
3: Just to help me out a little bit, would you mind um, mentioning that you were at my TETAN grading and I got it from him and he gave it to me, I never asked him for it.
2: Right, right. uh, Because
3: TETAN is a pretty heavy thing to handle. I was, for the first two years, I was uh, It was a heavy burden.
2: Yeah. So I think uh, how that transpired was uh, we went to Kentucky once for a seminar and uh, uh, you had received your ninth then with Hanchi Montalvo um, from the same association that had graded Richard Kim, Master Kim, to a tenth then. And we were in Kentucky since Sandoval asked me about that. He said what happened there and how did that transpire? And through the explanation of what happened, um, again, there was some turmoil in that association at the time. And uh, I just said, I know for a fact, Sensei all that sense Legacy um, sees you as his sensei. And, um, you know, that rank, he felt compelled to take it because Richard Kim was his teacher and, uh, then he said, "Well, I'm gonna fix all that. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix all that the next time I'm in Canada." And uh, the next time he came to Canada, that's when he graded Sensei Legacy to his tenth then And I know Sensei was kind of pushed back on it a little bit, and Sensei Tenno was pretty adamant and said, uh, <laughs> "You're going to accept this, and I can do it because I can do it, and you're going to be a tenth dan now." And I. I also know right now that of all the great students that Sandoval has, and he has other ones that are very good, like Robert Rosario in Puerto Rico and John Cox in Kentucky, I, I don't think he's graded any of them to a 10th then. I think you stand alone in Sandoval's association as a 10th then. Thank
0: you. Uh, yeah, so quick question here. It's, 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 it's 1030. We got in 10 minutes late. Anyone cool chatting a little bit longer? Because we got a oh, few yeah. things to get to. You good, Hanchi? You cool? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. So we'll keep chatting. If anybody has to drop off, uh, do do so. You're all adults or, or, or with adults. Yeah. And thank but you for joining. A,
2: but you're a loser. You're not a good yeah. martial artist if yeah. you yeah. did
0: an <laughs> You're literally about to miss <laughs> the good part. So before okay. I go back to one thing I want to touch on, you said something really compelling there, Hanchi. Huh, uh, for two years you really felt the burden. Talk about that. I mean, you're you're a guy who was willing to break your hand to get that black belt. You wanted that black belt. Nothing was going to stop you. A few, well, a lot of dans later, and a rarefied air, party goes, I don't know about this.
3: What was the difference? Well, it's, I don't know. It's not so much me. It's more facing people who know me, like Rick Joslin and Cesar Borkowski and... John Terry Johnny Stereo, John Terry, and all those people and say, and uh, me, Gary Legacy, just this guy from New Brunswick, is a Titan. How did that happen? Like that that is supposed to be something quite hard to achieve. Not everybody can achieve that level. Even though I never ever asked for it. I just kept doing my karate. And people would always tap me on the shoulder. Symbolically, you know, tap me on the shoulder and say, it's your turn. And they would greet me. That, mm-hmm. uh, but with that, uh, how many people are out there are saying, who's this little guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, at Dan. And uh, a couple of times I was even embarrassed myself and a guy, this guy just came up to me and I was standing in the street in London. He goes, you got get your legacy, right? I said yeah he goes oh congratulations on your down." and I looked I said uh, he said no he said you're a down now eh? I said yeah I, I said it's legitimate my sensei gave it to me I you know I didn't get it from an association my sensei gave it to me you know which is everybody should have a sensei mm-hmm. right? and uh, the guy says oh no we know that I, I just wanted to congratulate you see yes so it's tough to see myself as that guy, just yep. because I, I just want to do crying. <laughs> I don't know how well.
2: It's good that it's tough for one of us, because most of us, it's not tough for us to see you that way. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I talked about a bit with Sensei Sweet, I'm just jumping back a ahead before we get into a few more questions, is to the people watching, again, when Sensei Legacy is talking about this white crane, He's hunting this down, if I'm not mistaken, sensei. Over years, you're going to seminars. You're paying money to fly places. You're getting basically snake oil salesmen. There's no internet to type in white crane, tap, kata. You've got to go find it. And then when you get there, your gut says, nope, fuck. And you fly home and
3: wait for the next opportunity. That's right, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that, that happened two or three times. I had some of the most famous guys who say they're white grain guys but the hint would be they're down in Florida and they just were awful they just <laughs> they couldn't do it <laughs> one guy he showed me I was trying to find out the Matsumura style of white grain and he did like two different styles right there in front of me like he did one Chinese Matayoshi and he did a Kojo brother and there weren't anything anything like what I was looking for they just one guy actually said to me, You have a lot of students, don't you? I said, Yeah. And then he tried to make a pitch for me, and he was a real big guy from, from Texas who's actually a friend of Sandoval's. He tried to talk me out of yeah. going with Sandoval. So. Uh, yeah.
0: And um, this is just a total side note that, yes, yeah, Sensei?
2: Oh, I just remember another time sitting with Sensei Legacy and uh, uh, another person who's a very big name in uh, shoran Karate and also White Crane called Sensei Legacy on the phone and said, uh, "Hey, when we get together in Niagara Falls, I want to <laughs> compare katas, White Crane katas, with you. Um, let's go over the first kata together." And Sensei Legacy very wisely said, "Which kata would be the first kata?" And then there was just silence <laughs> and the person said, Oh, it's Haku Chiku. I'm so tired I can't even remember. I'll see you in Niagara Falls and you hung the phone up.
3: You can tell him the name.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the name is Glenn. I think the name is Glenn Premru. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was um, supposed-
0: Um, So I know there's some people online who are going to salivate at what I'm about to say. So correct me, either of you, Sensei Dauphin or Sensei Legacy, if I'm wrong about this, but Sensei Sandoval wrote the hand-to-hand combat manuals for the Marines for Vietnam, was the second most highly decorated soldier in Vietnam, and did tours where he did solo recon behind enemy lines. All those are correct?
3: Yes, those are correct. yes. And I, I
0: know some people listening are going to go, "Oh, that's who you got your tenth dan from." And he spent 18 years on and off living in Okinawa, including with the Kojo family and yes. trained that's also. Not, that's, that's not correct.
2: Not off and on. Not off and on. He spent 18 years unbroken living in Okinawa. He lived in Okinawa for 18 years unbroken.
0: And also trained under Hohan Soken. And has that's our direct lineage and, and your direct lineage through to Matsumura.
3: Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: So he's fucking OG, like that's some badass, some motherfucker shit. Yeah. Pardon me, we're after, we're after 10 o'clock, but I know I salivated that, knowing that I'm part of that lineage and have gotten to train with him hundreds of hours. Sensei Legacy, I've got 10 questions for you. It's the questions we're asking everybody we interview. My uh, request is that you don't think too much about it. You just go with your first gut response. Sound good? All right, then. Okay. What's the most effective move in your martial arts arsenal? Punch. Who's the most influential martial artist in your life? (sighs) Benny um, Allen. Who do you believe is the most influential uh, martial artist of all time and why? Who is what? the most influential martial artist ever, and why? Probably Bruce Lee. Um, And and, and just for obvious reasons, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Your next five years of training in the martial arts, what excites you most about your next five years? The next five
3: years, just (laughs) training, the same thing, just making it better. You know, it's like if you have a sharp sword, what do you do? you sharpen it some more. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you hit the pearly gates? Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, who, who's your fame? Uh, your favorite film or television martial artist? Oh, uh, Steven Seagal. I, oh yeah, he'd kill any of these other guys. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: and, uh, <My> <laughs> and 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 which celebrity martial artist would you want to fight the most, and why? Celebrity martial
2: artist? Yeah, I'd like
3: to fight Bruce awesome. Lee. Fight, fight
2: John Todd Van Damme. You'd kill him. Fight him. <laughs>
3: like he'd be the one. I'd like to fight Bruce Lee just to say a fun.
0: Yep. Um, if everyone in the world could have one benefit, even if they don't take martial arts, that you got from martial arts, what would it be? Confidence. Confidence. Yes. Um. And then uh, what's your greatest achievement and what's your greatest regret?
3: My greatest regret is not finishing school. I, I know, but I go through that often. Like I dropped out in grade 11. It was, it was bad. I could have done a lot of other things with my life, but I didn't. So that was probably the worst thing. And what was the other one? The greatest achievement. The greatest achievement was becoming a TED Dan. hmm You know, like besides the normal things, like being a father and that, but something that I actually started out doing from zero, and I'm still working on it. It's 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 martial arts, karate, being a black belt, or you know, being that belt above black belt. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, You're not here to be complimented by me, Hanchi, but you know, I'm a pretty bright guy, and I I, I've got a degree that you didn't get, but nobody's shaped my thinking more than you and the karate club in my life. And I know that's true for hundreds of people uh, because it's a different way of thinking and it's a different way of looking at things. And I know for many of us, the other way, isn't it Um, before, you know, our our two senseis here chat and you go out on whatever you want. Can you tell everybody your uh, belief in what the greatest rank is? I think everybody would do well to hear that.
3: Well, I've always said, the greatest rank in martial arts, or the, the greatest title in martial arts, is student. Because as a student, you will gain all the others, right? So that's how you get to be a 10th Dan, be a student. I have a sensei. I'm a 10th Dan, and I have a sensei. I'm 74 years old, and I have a sensei. If you're a black belt or you're a high ranking guy, and you're not connected you're like a dormant lake nothing's coming in nothing's going out maybe it's evaporating you know you you need to nurture yourself in the way all the time never quit till you die the martial arts is when you're standing in the dojo floor martial arts is what's under immediately under your feet the rest of the dojo floor represents the martial arts. You will only ever learn what's under your feet. You will never learn at all. So why not train in one thing and make it as best as you can? With some people, they know a little judo, a little karate, a little jujitsu, a little this and a little that. It's okay to know related styles like uh, Sensei Suino is a grappler, and AEI Sensei. That's fine. But I mean, you have to reach a certain quality a certain quality before you really a martial artist.
0: Sensei Suino, anything you wanna you wanna kind of wind us out with towards Sensei Legacy?
1: And I just loved that last bit. Um, it, uh, uh, and 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 Hachi, you you have um, demonstrated that over and over again, right? As a very accomplished martial artist, you came to train in Eido with me, and you've done it since then. And I know that um, uh, I've been learning. A little bit of karate from your student Randy Dauphin. Um, so the the circle's unbroken. Mm, um, yeah. uh, and I agree 100. percent. You know, uh, the minute you say I've learned enough, uh, you're not doing martial arts anymore. And there, to me, a, 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 like you, I think the end of my martial arts training comes when I'm uh, when I'm buried. I don't think there's an end before that. Mm. Yeah. And then, you know, um, just so you all know,
0: watching, I trained with Sensei Legacy for my first three years, and then I moved from London to Toronto. And I said, uh, Sensei, what should I do? You know, who should I go train with in Toronto? And he goes, where are you going to be this summer? And I said, Guelph. And he pointed to Randy, Sensei Dauphin. He said, train with him. He's my guy. He knows everything I know. And Uh, that's why Sensei Dauphin's been my student ever since. So I'm lucky enough that I'm actually everybody's student on this call. Sensei Dauphin, you want to, uh, have, have the second last thought before Sensei Legacy?
2: Yeah, I guess, um, I don't want to get super emotional here, but I just, uh, I know lots of people on this call and lots of people don't have a great sensei student relationship. And I'm super blessed to have a great um, student sensei relationship with Sensei Legacy. I meant what I said at the beginning when I said that uh, he's changed my life and he continues to change my life in ways that nobody else has. And I mean nobody. Uh, He stands unique in my mind and in my heart. Um, And this is really hard for me. Like this, uh, what everybody's going through right now, I know we're all going through our personal struggles, but what I will say to everybody on this call, just being a little bit vulnerable is when I was uh, 18, I went into Sense of Legacy's dojo and I met him. And I've never gone two weeks in my whole life without seeing Sense of Legacy. And now for some reason, I've had to go, Uh, six weeks without seeing him. And I really miss him. And I'm really, I'm super proud that I'm his student and I'm super proud he's my sensei. And I'm super excited to see this through to the end with him. That would be my final thoughts. And I wish everybody could have a student-sensei relationship like I have with my sensei.
0: Thanks, Sensei. Sensei Legacy, Pretty obviously the last word goes to you. By the way, thank you. Like, thank you, not just for the martial arts, for the years of training, but thanks for tonight. You know, this is, this is a beautiful chat. And I know we're going to get blown up with messages from everybody who's tuned in. And also, I just want to say thanks. I know there's a lot of people who I respect and look up to listening and watching. And, uh, and to anybody who we didn't get to your questions, I think we generally did. Um, but sometimes when we get rambling, the, 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 the chat's where I want to keep going with it. So pardon me for that. Sensei Legacy, thank you. And, and what do you want to say to everybody, or do you just want to say night?
3: Well, I, I just want to say you know that uh, for people that are training, I, I know now you've already chosen your schools and stuff, but some advice maybe I can give to other people is when you're going to pick a martial arts school, usually your parents bring you, and they don't really do the research. They just bring you to a school. Um, Choose your school wisely, or bring your children to a school that has a good reputation. and Always look for the word classical if you can. Try to get a classical school. And in that way, your person will have an opportunity to learn the art. Whereas there's a lot of fly-by-night schools, you take them there, they would have never had the opportunity to learn the art because they themselves never really learned it. Okay, and then once you choose your school, you give your complete self to your sensei and do exactly what they say, right? Not this. don't do this, uh, refuse to do this stuff that you don't like. Do it all. They're not telling you to do this stuff because it's not good for you, right? But again, you have to choose the right sensei, and the right sensei will get you to where you're going. That's that's your first thing that you have to do 85 i said this once in the united states 85 percent of karate clubs are not really legitimate and one of the person said that i was being very generous it's probably more like 90 or 95 percent, or not so
2: I think that was said to Suino who said you were being generous, right? Really? <laughs> 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 Probably was. <laughs> thank you, sir.
0: <laughs> right on. Well, it's people like us who make people like us people like us, right? That's right. Okay. Well, thank you. And I know all of us are, are feeling pretty good about this right now.
3: And I know people I can't see for, are, too. for uh, showing up. It's very humbling. Awesome. Yes, like, we had people, we had
2: like uh, over 90 at one point and then it dropped down and then it started gaining again. Like halfway through, we got more people, so.
3: <laughs> All right. Well,
2: look
0: everybody, this is Punch, Kick, Choke and Chat and um, please support the dojos that I mentioned last week. Sensei Fan, if you want to list them briefly that might have GoFundMes?
2: Right, so I guess the Japanese martial arts center has a GoFundMe. Uh, as well as this dojo here, the, the Legacy Charmere Dojo in Kitchener has a GoFundMe. Um, and if you're not going to support those GoFundMe, just support the dojos that you go to. Like in this city, there's other great dojos. There's um, Heritage Martial Arts. There's uh, Driftwood Martial Arts. I know since Doug Nipsel's on this call. He runs the Richmond Hill Kai. if you're in Windsor. You know, now is not a time to pull away from your dojo and not support them. Now is the time to be supporting the dojo and trying to keep them going through this. Um, those dojos that Sense the Legacy we're talking about, the ones that are fly-by-night dojos, my hope is that these all those dojos drift away. Those senseis who are in it for the money, they go find some other place to find the money. But... If you can support the dojos in your community that are classical, if you've gotten something from karate or the martial art that you do, maybe give something back for the future students who are going to need that. Um, even if you're not in it anymore.
0: And then the last thing I'll say is next week, we got uh same bad time, same bad channel, super Dan Anderson. And I want to be real clear with everybody watching. Yeah. You know that haunchy legacy is one of our marquee players on the, on the event, because a lot of the people watching, he's the head of our club, so of course you're gonna sign up. But remember, you have access to him without this, you don't have access to Super Dan Anderson without this. So you actually wanna make sure more that you sign up next week, because you're gonna get a perspective that won't be coming down either directly from Hachi Legacy or through your senseis, like most of us are gonna get anyways. So while tonight's brilliant and one of the, something I'll never forget in my martial arts career, next week's going to be as exciting for different reasons. So please sign up. Um, The way the registration's working is really good tonight. It just took a sec to log on because of a few technical things uh, on our end, but it's all good. We're in the zoom era, baby. Um, So thank you very much. Punch, kick, choke, chat. We'll see you next Thursday night.